Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Joe Johnson, and I am the RUF campus minister at Mississippi State. And I've been here a number of times throughout the past year, and uh, will continue to be here, I think, almost every other week um, for the rest of this semester. I still think in terms of semester, because that's my whole life. And so I will be here for a little bit. It's always a joy uh, to be here. Um, and every time I'm here, I do want to give you a little bit of update on how RUF is going at Mississippi State. This church supports that work and is part of uh, the PCA, which RUF is uh, the denom denominational ministry um, reaching the campus. And we are eight weeks into the semester at Mississippi State, uh, which is crazy to think about. Um, and this week uh, is fall break, so they have Thursday and Friday off. And so what RUF is doing is we're going to the beach this week for our fall retreat, and we'll be there Wednesday through Saturday at a wonderful place called Laguna Beach Christian Retreat, which is where RYM is, an RUF summer conference, very cheap way to go to the beach. And um, my friend Kelly Jackson, who is the RUF campus minister at Florida State, is coming to preach through the book of James with us for a few days. And we also have a lot of time together at the beach. And the wonderful thing about that is uh, we had way more students sign up uh, than we were anticipating, which we are thrilled about, but we really do appreciate your prayers. It's these trips. They're not magical. Um, they're really unimpressive um, the way we put them on. But for some reason, God tends to work on these trips, uh, calling students away from the campus for a weekend where they get to hear God's word preach. They get to be a part of the community of RUF. And I, I just ask you to pray for the people that are going that aren't Christians, that they become Christians on this trip, uh, that the students that are going that have been wayward from the church to find their way back into Christian community, and for students years from now to point back to that trip um, as a special way that God worked in their life uh, that'll impact their life for the rest of their life. So, and I'm not old, um, but I'm not 18, so pray for me uh, to get through that trip with our kids and everything. We're really excited about it, uh, but wanted to update y'all on that. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 27 this morning, if you have your Bibles. Genesis 27. And every time that I'm here, we're going to look at another episode in the life of a man named Jacob. Uh, I love to do this, to look at a life of someone in the Bible, because you get a large swath of Scripture. I mean, Jacob's life goes really to the end of the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at, at highs and lows of Jacob's life. Uh, Jacob is not as famous as his grandfather Abraham. He's really not even as famous probably as his son Joseph. But Jacob is near and dear to my heart uh, because Jacob has that duality to him. The grandson of Abraham, he should know the promises of God. He should know the life of faith. And yet at the same time we see Jacob continually fail, uh, continually mess up. And his story really isn't a life to emulate, though he does show us moments of faith every now and then, certainly not this morning. But his story actually shows us how God's grace can change someone like Jacob. How God can actually save someone like Jacob and change someone like Jacob and actually use someone like Jacob to bless the world through God's work. And if he can do that with a man like Jacob, maybe he can do that with people like us. A few weeks ago I was here, we talked about the beginning of Jacob, his being born with his twin brother Esau, and them already having a fight together that God said the promises will go through the younger son, Jacob, not the older son, Esau. And we see this episode where Jacob steals Esau's birthright. 
Well, now we're going to see Jacob steal something else. He's going to steal his dying father's blessing. And there's going to be some cultural distance between us and this text. Uh, we don't really speak like this anymore of a dying father's blessing being something that would blow a whole family apart. And I want you to hear a father's blessing really functions in Genesis like a prophecy. But it also makes us beg the question, where do we look for our blessing in life? In what places do we look and how do we go about getting it? And what does real blessing look like for the life of God's people? So with that in mind, we're going to read Genesis chapter 27, the first 41 verses, which is a lot, and I do apologize for that. I will probably stumble through this at times, but it is God's word and it is all good. And so let us read Genesis 27 starting in verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau, so when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring curse upon myself and not blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went and he took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she made, uh, she put on his hands and on the smooth parts of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Where are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the garments and he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be anyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who is it that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it before, all before you came? And I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is, it, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved, reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted his eyes and wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning of my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Amen. Uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever and ever. Let me pray. The Father in heaven, this is a strange story indeed. Uh, this is the family you chose uh, to work in. And we see a lot of sin. We see a lot of complications and dysfunction. Uh, but Lord, seeing it from this side of the cross, uh, we see your providence, your goodness, and your grace to your people. Uh, Jesus, help us to see you more clearly this morning and find you more beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Peter Kraft wrote a book on heaven uh, that I do not agree all with, but he posed in that book an interesting question, a question that I want to pose to us this morning. Dr. Kraft says this, imagine God appears to you and says, I will make you a deal, and if you wish to take it, it will be yours. I'll give you anything and everything you ask, pleasure, power, honor, wealth, freedom, even peace of mind and a good conscience. Nothing will be a sin to you, nothing will be forbidden, and nothing will be impossible for you. You will never be bored, and you will never die. Only, you shall never see my face. Dr. Kraft goes on to say, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, my heart stops at the last line. Despite all the other apparent joys offered to us, we realize that they are not our real desires. We want to see the face of God. We may not know it, but he is the cause of our homesickness. His face is home. I think about that question for a second. Anything that you ever wanted given to you. Nothing's a sin. You're never bored. You never feel guilt. Your conscience is clear. And yet, what's the exception? That you will never see God's face. You will never know God. And there's something in all of us that our hearts, like Dr. Kreft, stops and say, 
that will never be enough. And actually what that shows is all of those things, all of those desires and dreams that we may have, they actually don't get at the deepest desires of our hearts. Uh, Herman Boving writes this, this is how he starts his first, um, his one volume systematic theology called The Wonderful Works of God. He says, God and God alone is man's highest good. The heart of man was created for God and the heart of man cannot find rest until it rests in the Father's hands. Uh, what we see in this passage is a group of people who are looking for blessing. They are looking to control that blessing. They are looking to gain that blessing. They are looking to give that blessing to their favorite children. But what's lost in all four characters in the story is they become so obsessed with the blessings of God that they care nothing about the God of blessing. That in other words, what we see is what our hearts oftentimes do, that we care more about the things of this world and the God who created this world. But all of us, like these people, look for blessing. All of us are looking for the good life. All of us looking for the comfortable life. All of us are looking for the life of our dreams. But the question that we ask ourselves is, where are we looking for it? And who are we going to to gain it? I really want to ask this morning, what is real blessing? And the answer has to be this, that real blessing is only found in knowing God. So where else do we find ourselves looking? Real blessing is only found in knowing God. So where do we find ourselves looking? All right, three questions to unpack that together. I want to talk about what is real blessing? What is the blessing that is being fought over here? Secondly, what are bad ways we go about finding that blessing? And third, what's the only way to real blessing? Okay, so what is the blessing? What are the bad ways we go about trying to find blessing? And then third, what is the only way of real blessing? So first, what is the blessing? Okay, so where are we in the story? In the first four verses of this passage, we are introduced to old Isaac. Now, we obviously know Isaac already, the father of Jacob, the son of Abraham. We saw him last time I was together with you when he was praying for a child, and the Lord miraculously answers that prayer. He prayed for 20 years for that child. But here we are introduced to old Isaac. Things are not going well at the end of his life. He's physically blind, and actually we're going to see also that he's spiritually blind. Because at the end of his life, Isaac, knowing that he's on his deathbed, calls in his son, Esau, and Esau only, and says, go get me something to eat so that I can get some strength, and then I will bless you. It's his favorite son, and it's his favorite thing about his son, that this son hunts, this son is the manly man, this son is the father's boy. And so he does that, and that's a little lost on us with this idea of blessing, but we need to see this. Isaac is up to no good here. Uh, because what we found out last time is that God said that the blessing and the promises that God gave to Abraham were passed to Isaac and then were to pass to Jacob, the younger son, not the older son. And what Isaac does here is he actually breaks protocol. Uh, that throughout the book of Genesis and really throughout the Old Testament, when a patriarch is giving a blessing upon his children, his sons, he is to bring in all of his sons and to give a blessing to each. But here we see Isaac only bring in Esau. That in other words, he is doing whatever it takes to get his favorite son blessed, no matter what the Lord told him to do. So we see a lost Isaac here, who's kind of gone awry, and who's nearing the end of his life, and he puts this plan together. 
But the question that I want to ask is, why does Jacob care? Why does Jacob care about the words from his father? He knows what God said. The whole family knows what God said. And it's going to come to fruition. Why does he care? He already has the birthright we found out last time. He has the standing of the firstborn son. This is kind of a rubber stamp here. Why does he blow up his entire family to get these words, to get this blessing? Well, I think it's this, that every pastor, every therapist, every counselor will tell you that words really do matter. Especially words heard from an authority, especially words heard from a father. But many of us, all of us could say something about words that have given us life throughout our life. Words that you remember being told to you from a parent where you heard the words, I love you and I'm proud of you when you really needed to hear those words. Words from a friend in the midst of mourning that says, I love you and I'm here for you and I'm not leaving. Words of affirmation, love and acceptance that we heard when we really needed to hear them. Words are powerful. Words can give life. At the very same time, I bet we can come up with words that took away life. Uh, Words that we heard even as a kid about some deficiency in us that we're still trying to prove wrong to this day, that we took some childhood vow in order to prove those wrong. And no matter how long we live, we will work to do that. Maybe it was the absence of words that we did not hear that we really needed to hear. But we know words matter, especially words from a father. And the saying goes, you know, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It's just not true. And as one commentator said, really the saying should go, sticks and stones will, uh, will break your bones and words will never break your bones, but words can also destroy your soul. Jacob was longing to hear the words of love and acceptance and affirmation from his father. He wanted to hear them out of his mouth. Because here's what this blessing really is. We see throughout the book of Genesis, whenever a patriarch blesses his children, whenever a father blesses his children, it always involves two components. The first component of a blessing is usually saying who you are, your identity as someone God made. And the second component of these blessings is, and this is what God is calling you to do. So it answers two important questions whenever a blessing happens. It answers who you are in God's eyes and what God is calling you to do. And I actually would argue that is what we long for in our life and the two questions we're asking everyone and everything. Who am I? And am I enough? I really think we're going around not actually saying these words. We're going around to everyone and everything asking those questions. Do you love me? Who am I? And am I enough? But the only question is, who and what are we asking those questions of? Who are we looking at? What are we looking at to tell me who I am, my identity, that I am a loved person and that I am enough and that everything in life will be okay? That we look at our work, that my job title can be the thing that tells me I'm important, I am enough, and everything will be okay. We can look at our bank accounts and numbers in them to tell me that I'm enough and that I will be okay. It'll be intangible things like reputation and how people admire us. But the blessing we're looking for, the blessing we long for, the blessing Jacob longed for wasn't even from Isaac. He went to the wrong place. What we're looking for is the God who made us to tell us who we are, and what he's called us to do. 
Where do you look for blessing? Where do you look to be told who you are and are you enough? I see college students every year begging the college campus to tell them who they are. A sorority or fraternity or organization or grades or whatever it might be, begging them to say, is this enough now? We actually don't outgrow that. We just find other places to go to ask those questions. Where do you look for blessing? Where do you look for identity? And where do you look to hear that I'm enough? But secondly though, so that's the blessing. But secondly though, I want to look at wrong ways we go about seeking that blessing. Uh, because Genesis chapter 27 has very little um, um, actions that we are to emulate as God's people. Actually, everyone comes out looking bad. Uh, and there's four main characters in this story. We got the two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the two parents, Rebecca and Isaac. And I want to go through those to show how each one of those people are looking for that blessing, but they're going about it in horrible ways. And the first person I'm going to look at is our boy Jacob. Jacob is the one looking for the blessing. He wants to hear it. And what is his plan? How does he go about doing this wrongly? He goes about finding blessing by hiding. By hiding. All right, so Isaac has the plan. He's trying to skirt God's ways. He's trying to pull a fast one on God before he dies. I'm going to bless the son I was told not to bless, but then I'm going to die. So I'm just going to do it anyways. And Rebecca, his wife, knows. And she has a better plan. Right? We know Rebecca from her stories before. She is a go-getter. She is not a passive woman. She is an active woman. And so she hears her husband's plan, and she comes up with another one. And she grabs her favorite son, Jacob. And tells him, look, this is your father's plan. He's trying to do this. We're going to stop him. So here's what I need you to do. Go get two goats. I'm going to make his favorite meal that he loves. Uh, you're going to go put on your brother's clothes. And you're going to fake being your brother so that he accidentally blesses you and everything goes the way it should, right? This is a good and maybe a little bit proactive, too proactive mama taking care of her little boy. And Jacob, here's the plan, and it's a good plan because it actually works, not good morally, but it actually functions in the way she wants it to. Jacob actually asks a really good question in verse 12. What if this doesn't work? What if he finds out? What if he thinks I'm mocking him? And what if that blessing that we're looking for turns into a curse? And he's actually right to fear that. And her answer to that is you're going to put on dead animal skin to make sure that you're hairy enough. But Jacob was right to worry because this really does blow up in everyone's face. Though he gets the blessing, his father figures it out, and Jacob is forced to leave for 20 years. He will not see his brother or father for 20 years. And there's no biblical evidence to show that he ever sees his mother again. The only person that's ever loved Jacob, he will not see her again. And so the question that I have in my mind is, again, why is Jacob doing all this? Why the risk? Why the drama? And we know that he wants to hear these words, not just from God. He wants to hear them from his dad. And so listen to the words that he hears from his dad. Listen to the words that Jacob hears as he's dressed up like his brother. Verse 26, come near and kiss me, my son. So Jacob, dressed as Esau, came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of the garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son. It is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you. Bless be everyone who blesses you. Now, if you're reading that correctly, you hear something that we've heard before. This is an echo of the promises of Abraham from God. This has everything in it about a nation coming and a nation that will bless nations and that God through this one family, through this people will bring about a people, his people. But the promises are now being passed down and Jacob's hearing this, hearing these words of affirmation, hearing these words of love, hearing these words of promises. It's what he's longed to hear from his father. And as he's hearing them, tears are probably welling up in his eyes. But then put yourself in Jacob's place for a minute. To hear these words from his dad, he had to dress up as his dad's favorite son. He had to pretend to be someone else. And think about the pain and the shame that would bring. To actually get his dad to do this, he had to pretend to be someone that he wasn't. Now we have never dressed up as our brother to get a blessing from our father. We've never put on goat skins to fake someone out. But don't we do this all the time? That actually, this was from the very beginning. What happened when Adam and Eve fell in the garden? One of the first things they did, they didn't hide from God first. They began to hide from each other first, covering themselves with fig leaves. As if to say, this is not a safe place and you are not a safe person anymore. And there's guilt and shame that I don't know what to do with. And so what, I'm going, what am I going to do? I'm going to cover myself with fig leaves to show the world to look at this thing instead of looking at me. And one primary way we look for blessing in this life is really to pretend to be someone else or something else. To do something to show the world that I am enough, but don't look too closely at who I am. I see this every year with college students. that They come and they start dressing differently. They start acting differently. They start acting the part of what they think would be the good life at Mississippi State. And they, they're, they're, they think that's going to be the life of their dreams. And what it ends up doing is it's getting, making them hide behind this, this huge wall where no one will get to know them. And no one will see what's actually going on. And that they'll actually begin to not invite Jesus into those places in our life. And we do that as we get older too. That we hide behind sort of a veneer of self-sufficiency. Of not letting anyone actually see our failures or needs, not showing any sort of dependency upon others or upon God. That we can hide like everything's fine and everything's good and we just think if we pretend that, then maybe it will come true. How do we hide in order to achieve our blessings? And what are the things we hide behind? Jacob hides. But he's not the only one who tries to get blessing in a bad way. We're now going to move on to the parents. Rebecca and Isaac, I'm going to tackle them actually together because they go about getting their blessing or doing what they want with the blessing, not through hiding, but through control, through control. Uh, both of them are trying to control the blessings of God. They care nothing about what God asked them to do. They only care about it happens in the way they want it to. And so Isaac, what does he do? He hears what God's asked him to do. He does not give the blessing to his youngest son like he was supposed to. He tries to give it to his favorite son, trying to take a shortcut here, trying to pull a fast one to get what he wants for his legacy. He's all out rebelling against God, and he will actually show some repentance in a second, but hold on to that for a second. But Rebecca's doing the same thing. And we might say she's acting a little more faithful, 
All right, she's actually trying to get the right boy blessed. She's trying to obey what God said, but the way she goes about doing it is shrouded in sin. That there is no going to the Lord. There is no faith. There is no trust here. It is trying to do things in her way to get what she needs to get done. And it shows what we do is to try to control things, to make things in our life look better and feel better than they actually are. That it shows us the temptation not to trust that God will come through on his promises, but to take matters into our own hands and to do what Ian Duguid says is one of Satan's shortcuts. That how many of us have ever been tempted to do something financially immoral, but we can justify it by saying, but this will better help my family and help me provide for them. How many of us have thought about a good end, but using questionable means to get it? And it feels right because there's a good end, but the questionable means are shrouded in sin. And I said this last time I was here, but it's worth saying again, God does not just care about what we do. He also cares about how we go about doing it. Are we walking in faith? Are we walking under our own power? That though she knows what God was going to do, and actually God did it anyways, no matter what these people tried to do, there was no going to the Lord. It was only I can do this myself and make it happen. We try to get blessings through control. Control makes us feel safe. And yet, I think the older we get, the more we know, we're not really in control of anything. Rebecca certainly wasn't. She was pulling all the strings, and yet God's providence is all throughout this passage. How do we control our life and other people's life, even manipulation, to get the blessings that we want? But then lastly, I want to talk about Esau. Because Esau sometimes gets off easy here. He seems like he's just a guy who goes hunting, and he comes back, and his family has fallen apart. But I actually think Esau's doing something faithless too. In other words, he's going about blessing by way of apathy. Now we've seen Esau be pretty apathetic with his spiritual life. He threw away his birthright as the firstborn son for a bowl of soup. We see him act pretty rash. And here, it's his reaction that really gets me. That he comes back and he hears what happens, and what's his reaction? His reaction is not to go before the Lord. His reaction is not to pray. His reaction is not to repent. He has two reactions. In the first reaction, he says, do you have no other blessing for me? Give me something, Dad. And then second, he vows to kill his brother. In other words, so lacking care for his spiritual life, he just does whatever he feels like doing that seems like it's going to make the situation better. Whatever feels good. That's the way of his blessing. That's how he thinks it works out. And yet we will also see repentance in Esau's life, thankfully too. How do we go about getting blessing in those ways? Instead of faith, some other shortcut. Taking power in our own hands. But lastly, I want to talk about the only way to real blessing. The only way to real blessing. When we get to an end of something like this, a passage like this, you have to ask the question, okay, what's the moral of the story? Like, why did God give us this? Is it to treat your elderly parents with care and not try to pull a fast one on them before they die? Is it that you need a little bit more of a functional family and not dysfunctional family here and not have favorite children? Is it to not try to cheat? What, like, what is the moral of the story? Because I get to the end of this and ask the question, 
this is the family God picked? These are the people that God's going to do great things through? This is where the nation of Israel comes from? But where is the hope of this passage? And it actually comes from someone you least expect. It actually comes from Isaac. Uh, Isaac says something here that's really interesting when he finds out all of what transpired. And it's in verse 33. And Derek Kidner pointed this out in his commentary. I could have read this text a million times and would never have seen it. But in verse 33, Isaac figures out what's going on and this is what happens. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came. And I have blessed him. And then this is the phrase. And yes, and he shall be blessed. It doesn't come out in English because sometimes we can just read that and like I guess that's how people just talked back then. But in the Hebrew it comes out that that sentence structure, that's not how someone would say that. That actually there would be a massive pause there. That he figures out, okay, who is the one that I just blessed? Oh, it's Jacob. And then it dawns on him, and yes, that man will be blessed. There's almost like an admittance of defeat here, that the plan didn't work, and that actually everything that God said came true. That Isaac did everything he could to stop what God was going to do, and in that moment it dawns on him, actually the younger son received the blessing anyways. That Isaac here in this little moment actually shows us what it looks like to get real blessing, and it is to finally yield in submission to God. It is to finally yield yourself to the ways of God. It is to finally give yourself over to the king, the one who holds the world in his hands, and say, actually, I tried so hard to do everything else, but God, your way is better. Isaac in this moment actually shows that no matter what we do, God's way will come about, and God's way is better. And the only time he sees real blessing here is when he finally yields in submission to that. I think that's why he actually gives Esau an anti-blessing here. Because I've always wondered, why doesn't he just give him something? Why doesn't he just give them, you know, I'll just give you the same blessing, what's it going to hurt? Well, why doesn't he just say something positive here? He actually gives the anti-blessing that God called him to give. Because he is now yielding in submission to God. And that's the blessing of God's people. That's why I feel a little ridiculous as a campus minister on the college campus sometimes, when I come armed with the message of the gospel that starts with, you're a sinner, that I come armed with what the Bible says about sexuality and morality, that I come armed with a, a book that I'm claiming is God's very word. I, I feel ridiculous sometimes that no one's going to believe me, but actually what they really need to believe, that all the things they're looking for, all the things they're doing to achieve blessing and comfort in life, all of what they're looking for is actually found in the life of following King Jesus. And sometimes it takes a bomb and an earthquake for you to see that, like it did Isaac. But can we actually see that obedience to God, a life of following Him, a life of falling more in love with Jesus, is the blessing that we long for. Because the fruition of all these promises really is found in Jesus. The true Son of God, who came from eternity, perfectly doted on by the Father for eternity, came to this sin-filled world to save a sin-filled people. And that He was the Son who actually did come dressed as another, 
but not like Jacob with, clo- with clothes and with fur and with all those things to get a blessing. Jesus came dressed as a sinful people on the cross to take a curse he did not deserve in order to give us a blessing we could never earn. That it's in Christ is the perfect blessing to answer those two questions. Who am I? And what am I called to do? That Jesus looked at his people and says, I know who you are. I know everything that you've done. I've known everything that you've thought. I know your heart. I know your sin. And if you are my people, my love is upon you. You are washed clean. You are now my bride. And that you are called to be mine, not just for this life, but for eternity. Jesus answers the questions of the blessing that we all long for. Do we rest in that blessing? Do we know that? And so think about, as I close here, think about that question again from Dr. Kreft. You'll have everything you ever wanted. Nothing will be a sin. You will never be bored. You will never die. You will have a clear conscience. But you will never know God intimately. If we're reading this correctly, and we long for Jesus, we actually know that that's not a description of heaven. That's a better description of hell. Because what we long for, the blessing that we long for is knowing our God and being who he declares us to be and resting in what he's done for us to be his people. Let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, I look for blessing everywhere. Um, I look to be told who I am from others. I look to be told who I am for what I can achieve. Uh, Lord, uh, we all feel apathy about our spiritual life. We all take control of things thinking that that is our hope. And we all hide. Uh, But Lord, Jesus, help us to find you beautiful enough, wonderful enough, strong enough to come out of our hiding, to let go of our control, to put down our apathy, and to rest in your wonderful hands. Help us to know who we are because of who you say we are. And to know, Jesus, that it's only your opinion that matters, that you are king and you will come one day again in judgment. And help us hold strong to a gospel that's true. But more than that, Lord, hold strong to us as your people, as your bride, reminding us of your work and your nearness and your grace and your love.
receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.